Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Today's guest is better than almost any other comedian at mining the darkest parts of his own story for laughs. Just ran to my biological father on the street. I was telling my friend about it, and he was like, is your biological father a good person? I was like, if he were, I probably wouldn't refer to him as my biological father. <laughs> Take a little more ownership over that. <laughs> I look exactly like him, though. You know? I show my friend a picture. He was like, oh, my God. It's like you guys were separated at birth. <laughs> we were. <laughs> This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and this week I am just thrilled to welcome one of my favorite stand-up comics on the scene right now, Sam Morell. After a year in which clubs shut down and comics were mostly forced off of the stage, Sam somehow managed to become what his ex-girlfriend, comedian Taylor Tomlinson, recently referred to as the Taylor Swift of stand-up comedy by releasing not one, but two new hour-long specials in 2020. But, you know, that's about where the Taylor Swift similarities end. Sam is one of the darkest joke tellers out there and is not afraid to offend people to make a comedic point, something we discuss at length during this conversation. We also talk about why he decided to release his specials for free on YouTube after facing rejection from all of the major streamers, and what it was like to perform on rooftops all over New York City for his most recent hour, Up on the Roof. Okay, let's get into it. This is me with Sam Morell. Thank you for doing this. Uh, the main reason why I wanted to talk to you on the podcast is because, if I'm not mistaken, I believe you are the only comedian to release two full specials in 2020. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's impressive, especially in this year where no one could do anything or uh, go anywhere or really perform. Um, so first of all, how did how'd you manage that? How'd you pull off producing two specials this past year? Well, the first one was you know, honed and built in clubs on the road and then shot at the comedy cellar and even watching it. I was looking at a clip today because someone sent me a clip and uh, <laughs> the people are on top of each other and you're like, oh my God, it looks like <laughs> watching a sci-fi movie right now. And then the second one was more of a reaction to the pandemic, more of a thing where I was like, well, I've been in Los Angeles for months. I haven't been able to perform. I'm going completely insane. I miss stand up. I'm going to do a bunch of rooftops. It just turned in, it started out just anywhere it could get up, like East River Amphitheater, uh, you know, backyards, parking lots, wherever. And then it kind of turned into, while the roofs look, you know, kind of aesthetic, they have like an aesthetic to them where you're like, this is pretty cool. This is pretty special. And weirdly, my last two specials have had the skyline as the backdrop, but indoors. And now it's actually New York. Yeah, no, it's cool. Um, I want to start with uh, "I Got This," which was your uh, your special that went up in February, and it was it went up on uh, YouTube on Comedy Central's YouTube channel, and I saw is is approaching five million views, which is which is pretty cool. But I know there was some like I've heard you talk a little bit about you know the fact that it went up on YouTube as opposed to going on you know a streaming service. So how did you how did you feel about it at the time that decision, and sort of how do you feel about it in retrospect? I think at the time, you know, you can't, I mean, we all have egos. We do this, you know, <laughs> we work hard. We're up in the clubs every night. I think if you're lucky at some point, you'll be validated by some of your peers and the rejection, you can't act like it doesn't hurt. It's, it, it is what it is. It, it, it's, it is constant rejection is any form of entertainment. So yeah, just kind of doing that little tap dance for the industry is, it can be demoralizing and it can feel bad. <laughs> so it's good to the point where I'm like, I don't know if I want to ever do it again. I don't really think like, it doesn't ever really make me feel good. Uh, because I guess the upside is they buy it. But even when they, I mean, with Comedy Central, the hour with Positive Influence, was it was great to get to sell it. And, and I wouldn't have sold it without Amy Schumer. So I was very grateful for the money and grateful for the opportunity. But then even with that, 
they made me wait nine months to air it after I shot it. And to me, that's insane. I mean, those that's like an insane wait. And I like having Creole, uh, creative control. I said, I like having Creole. I like, uh, I like Creole. Creole food is good. Going yeah. to New Orleans. After, no, <laughs> I, I can't speak. Uh, I like being able to choose when how things go and when they come out. And I think so, a lot of things just become arguments when you're doing it with a partner that shouldn't be arguments. And uh, I kind of have an idea of how I want things to go. And, you know, there is a model that seems to be broken everywhere except the streamers. Like, you feel like a caveman saying, watch my special at 11 p.m. tonight. I think about that all the time. The ones that are on, you know, Comedy Central is kind of like the last... Well, I guess HBO to a degree, but they are kind of even more streaming now than than anything else. But Comedy Central is kind of like the last place where it's you're putting up. They really are directing you to watch it on TV at a specific Show time. time. There's a few yeah. more, yeah. Um, but yeah, but all of those, I don't know. In the Comedy Central ones, at least besides yours, which is on YouTube, they seem to be a little harder to stream later than some of the well, others. You're wasting promotion. Like you're lucky to have these giant comics like bill burr posting about your special and then they're like watch and they're like well i just got one of the best comics of all time to post about my special and uh no one's gonna watch it Uh, so but if i have a link they'll watch the link he posts so it's kind of having to adapt to how people consume content and sometimes it hurts your ego a little bit where like i did a show in la over the uh summer during the pandemic and someone brought me on stage this guy's got a, a new youtube special out and it got a laugh it got like oh. a big laugh in the crowd. <laughs> yeah. so it's like it takes the public sometimes a while to catch up to how we're doing things but it's like no, I've had them on TV and it didn't do anything for my career until I started illegally posting the clips myself. <laughs> so you kind of have to you kind of have to break the rules a little bit or or take a shot to your ego a little bit if you want it to be seen and I think we all want it to be seen if we're putting work in uh, into it. So in that sense in retrospect does it feel like it, it worked out well that it went up on on YouTube on Comedy yeah. Central's oh, channel? I'm very happy that I I did it that way. For sure. I I uh I wanted eyeballs on it. I want, I thought it was a good special and I wanted people to see it. Yeah. Thank you. I I just, you know, it's tough. You work so hard on these jokes and then it's like, sometimes you feel like you're taking a bribe, (laughs) you know, for people to never see it. It's almost like he, it's like burying. It's like, it's the weirdest thing. But then Netflix to me is the only one that I've seen, uh, help people. Well, I, I don't see comics pop off an HBO. I mean, there's prestige with HBO. You're like, oh, it's it's Sopranos. It's it's The Wire. It feels, it feels Sex important, in the city. but doesn't necessarily deliver uh, what what you're looking for. So the the new special. How did you actually? How did it actually work? I mean, how many shows did you do? How did you pull it off to to keep it safe? And and what was the really? Because there must have been a lot that went into that. Yeah, it was pretty tough, you know. So what I would do is I would I booked a roof. I had a guy Josh Fear follow me around, a young uh, kid follow me around with a camera to get a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Ever since I had an incident in Brooklyn where a woman grabbed the microphone from me, I realized I needed to record these. (laughs) I needed to capture the ugliness of the pandemic comedy scene. Why did she grab the mic from you? She was hammered. It was a long story, but it was basically a gig that was supposed to be on a roof. Uh, Some kids kicked them off the roof because they were DJing and having a party and drunk. And it's like outdoor space turns into a turf war, comedy or like party. <laughs> so then we get to the uh, backyard. I get there. This It's this woman's backyard. She's off her ass drunk, heckling every comic. And they're like, what are we going to do? It's her backyard. So I go on and I'm kind of bombing, but then I start just burying her. I start. She heckles <laughs> me and it kind of saved my set because I'm like, all right, well, now I can show that I'm quick at least. So I start just nailing her and it's killing. And she didn't want to have that shit in her own backyard. So she comes and grabs the mic. And uh, I was like, man, I wish I got that whole exchange. I only, it was like the one set I didn't record. And then someone recorded the very end, but it's not as satisfying when you just see someone grab a mic. So I realized I need to get every set and and just everything recorded. So I had someone follow me around. Then we decided to get some more people involved. Then we did a rooftop. And my friend Matt Salacuse came by, who ends up directing this, and I've known for years. He's a great photographer, and is you know that's his you know whole career. And uh, he brings his friend Dominic, and Dominic Mall shows up with a drone camera. And I was like, this is insane. Like this is for someone throwing this on their own channel. I mean, this looks like pretty cool production. And 
something would go i mean that first night there's a clip in the special there's a part of the special where a guy's heckling me from his window and i'm doing crowd work from his window and i was like oh i gotta keep filming because this is so and yeah so unique this is so crazy i didn't think i had the material to do a special i mean i did a special released in february so i was like i don't have the material but as i kept performing i was like finding material and honing it a little bit and it's it's weird to hone it on i'm used to doing like red state blue state let's Let's make this bulletproof so it kills for everybody. And then <laughs> I didn't get to do that. This was a New York special. Yeah, you have a very specific demographic uh, who, will, who will go to comedy on a roof in New York City. Exactly. One of my best friends is uh, a Catholic guy, and I, I give him a ton of shit about the pedophilia and the priesthood. And he gets so angry. The other day he said to me, he goes, teachers fuck kids too. <laughs> and I was like, I like that angle right there. That's good. <laughs> Because I understand what he's saying. It's not a problem exclusive to the church, but he is making it sound like everyone does it, dude. Why don't you, why don't you just back off? And I've seen pictures of some of these teachers. We, it is a different degree of molestation. We're talking top shelf versus bottom shelf. No, I'm losing you. I've jerked off to teacher porn. I've never typed in hot, horny cardinals. You know? So it was all material written basically during the pandemic though, right? I mean, I had a lot of that stuff before, you know, I had like a version of the stew story before I had a lot of the relationship stuff before I had a lot of the ideas before, you know, yeah, I, I, I kind of honed them and I had way more material. I dropped, I had a lot of election jokes that I just dropped. Cause I was like, I mean, it only really worked up top and I don't want new people to just tune into the special and see like five or six election jokes and be like, what is this? A political special click? Like that's, yeah, it's not really your thing. Yeah. It's not really my bread and butter. I like just writing jokes. So I didn't want it to have like an angle and the angle wanted to be, I wanted it to feel escapist and upbeat and fun because I'm a pretty pessimistic guy, but I felt good doing this. It felt, I was anxious as hell. I mean, I took the stress of filming a special and made it last over like weeks <laughs> yeah, because right. we kept filming this. So I was so stressed, but there was something so satisfying about, you know, knowing we had something like, I didn't know it would be, it would come together this smoothly, like the transitions. But, uh, I, there, there were sets where I turned to Matt right after and he would start making fun of me. Cause I'd be like, what, what do you think? Like, he'd be like, <laughs> yeah. you're the least fucking confident person <laughs> who just did really well on a roof. You're like, he's like, you're killing on a roof and you still are like panicking. And that's because I didn't know if this would work. I knew what some of these jokes sounded like indoors with a real laugh. And then you hear them even with a good response on a roof and it doesn't compare. So you get, you get really sad. <laughs> How do you how do you think about, you know, performing during this time when people are I feel like there's a debate over comics still going out to clubs because there are still some clubs open in the country and people touring. And then I know there's been some stories about people getting sick during those things. And you obviously, you know, decided to try to make this safe by doing it on rooftops and doing it outside. Did you have to think about that for yourself? Like, am I going to go? perform in clubs still, if that's an option? I did uh, two indoor road weekends and I turned down very many because I only did the ones that I thought sounded like they were had a decent COVID protocol. And then after the second one, I was like, I think I'm done. I canceled a lot because I just was like, it didn't feel right and for me. If it feels right for you, you know, that's great. But I think we're doing what's, and that's part of what this pandemic is, is respecting other people's boundaries. And, and you learn that pretty quickly is like, there's going to be people who are taking this less seriously than me. I just need to tell them like, if you, if we're going to hang out, you got to respect my, what I, how I feel about this. And also, you know, I have family members who like, won't, my brother won't come into my apartment and I even like masked and I just have to accept that. If I see him, I'm gonna have to fucking stand on a street corner and catch up. <laughs> so do you feel like you fall somewhere in between the, the scale of like most uh, conservative Probably. to least in terms of uh, COVID? Well, no, I've, I'm absolutely scared of getting it, but I also, I just, there's, I see how our government is not helped small businesses. And I can also be angry at that. I see restaurants closing. I see comedy clubs closing. I see businesses that people poured their lives into and they're getting, you know, maybe one PPP bailout, but that's not going to last you a year. And, and I see the limited assistance. So I can be scared that this is a serious pandemic and also be really, really angry at our government for doing jack shit. And I chose to do rooftops because I thought, you know, after the Black Lives Matter protests, 
I look, I have limited knowledge on how this spreads, but it seemed after that there wasn't a huge spike. It seemed that outdoor spreading was much more difficult. I couldn't make masks mandatory at all these shows because some of these shows were groups of friends and I was going to the roofs. If it was my show, a few of them, I said, if you guys don't mind wearing a mask, I'd like that. But it's, you know, certain, certain there were gigs I could pull that and gigs I couldn't. And I think, you know, it, it just depended. Yeah, no, I mean, people have gotten incredibly creative, uh, you know, I think Chappelle most famously with his yeah. uh, his camp, where I don't know how he pulled that off, but it seems like he's, he's done it pretty well. Well, I mean, I know how he pulled it off. It's having, it's called having tens of millions of dollars. <laughs> yeah. That's how you pull to off. To do a, testing a, and yeah. yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, Joe Rogan's uh, in-person podcast too. And everyone's like, why can't everybody do this? I know. Well, you know, when you get a hundred million dollar Spotify deal, you can do, I mean, look, it's great. He's doing it. I, you know, I, I think, oh, it's hilarious that we're both in New York right now. Oh, and I'm in like, LA, but uh, oh, you're in LA? Like, so that's, that's okay. on your end. Oh, that is on my end. I'm sorry. I like that. I had to look like, of course, of course it's in the fucking New Yorkers backdrop. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I think with, with the roofs, it was a way for me to have it look cool, feel cool. I felt pretty confident that like, look, you don't want to be promoting you're now. I, I mean, I heard. I this is the, this is like the business side of it. I hear from my people a lot. Like, this could be a bad look, and it's like it's a funny way to talk about a pandemic. Like, ooh, let's talk about the optics on uh, COVID. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's so fucking silly. But yeah, I don't want anyone to get sick of my show. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to be dangerous here. I just want. I like anyone. I want my life to go on, and I also I felt the hunger in in people to want to come out. Like. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to go to a rooftop comedy show. People chose to come to this. Like you, you can watch Netflix. You can watch Amazon. There is still something. There's still a need for live entertainment. Fuck. There's an Ari Shavit book. I forgot the name of it, but he talks about how like Jewish settlers in the winters and it was so cold and how music was therapy. Like they, people would be nearly freezing to death, but music was essential to their survival. And I'm not going to say comedy is in anywhere near that important, right? We have heat now. We're okay. <laughs> but I'm talking, there is something about being around people during a dark time that is, I think, essential. I, I do think people need laughing, but also just like seeing other human faces, not just behind a screen. There's, there's an ugliness that comes out of us uh, behind a keyboard that I don't think is always there. I'm not going to like blame social media, but on Twitter, people are, I think, often at their worst. And if that's the only place you're living, you're not going to get better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a moment in the, in the first special from this uh, past year, I got this that really stuck out to me. Um, you warn the crowd that they, they might not like the content of your jokes, but they can't deny the joke structure. <laughs> yes. There's school shootings now. It's horrible. Because now getting held back is a real threat. Yeah. Do you want to go to summer school, please? I've already done two tours of freshman year. I don't want it. Some of these jokes, the content you're not going to like, but structurally they're going to be really solid. So that's, that helps. It does help with it. Look. So, I mean, is that something that you think about a lot in terms of can a good joke structure sort of overcome offending people? I mean, it depends. I mean, right. You'd grapple with that a lot is with jokes where you're like, is this worth it? Right. Like, is this, I've had jokes where I've like years later been like, ah, I probably wouldn't tell it again today, but I think people like dark jokes. I think people, some people find an offensive joke to be cathartic and others are just like, well, that's not for me. And others are like, fuck you. You don't deserve to have a career. Everyone <laughs> reacts differently. So I think, uh, dark jokes make me laugh. They make me feel good. Um, and I, I don't think I'm like a dark human. I think dark things make me laugh. Those are the things that make me laugh out loud. And that's, I guess what you tend to write. It's what you think you would find funny and people like you. So, uh, yeah, I think I did that after a school shooting joke. So I think that joke I did, but in the joke, I'm condemning it. I'm obviously not being like mass shootings or so I'm saying like, Oh, it's awful. But yeah, I think it's making, I think it's making a, also a point about like, these kids are like war veterans now. I say in the joke, I say, you know, I act out a kid threatening him to go to summer school and he goes, please, please, I've already done two tours of freshman year. <laughs> so it's like, I don't think, I think it's pretty clear what the angle is and what the point I'm trying to make is. So yeah, I think there's jokes where you just go, I mean, they're offensive because of the misdirect and that turn 
you're not really saying anything except the turn is really funny and shocking. And then there's jokes where it's like making kind of a point. And in both cases, I have to think, is this worth it to me? You know, it is something I grapple with. Yeah. I mean, you said there are jokes that you maybe have told in the past that you wouldn't tell again or that you wish you, I don't know if, if you regret them, but is there an example of something like that, that you like look back on and sort of say like, Ooh, I, that that's not the best look all the time. Yeah. A ton, like so many, like too many to even count. Sure. Like I'm, I'm ashamed of a lot of jokes I've told, but I also think that's just like, <laughs> like if you don't look back with regret, you're not moving forward. Like you, you gotta, you gotta look back and say, eh, not really much. Like, I think that alligator joke is really clever and funny, but I don't, I probably wouldn't tell it today because even though I'm making it, that joke stemmed from just frustration with constant criticism online and social media mobs just constantly like tell me I shouldn't be allowed to work. And I think some people like, I think they reacted like you're making fun of a dead kid. And I never saw it that way. I saw it as I was making fun of the mob. I guess it's tough. You can't control how people react or interpret to a joke. So that was kind of the point I was trying to make. And here I am. So the baby got eaten by the alligator at Disney. Is that where we left off? <laughs> and it's a tragic thing. Uh, and I was like, that's terrible. And then two weeks went by and I was like, all right, it's time. It's time. Of course it's terrible, but let me fucking try. And uh, I went on stage that night at the Comedy Cellar, and I said, I don't mean to come off like a gun nut. I just think if that baby was carrying a weapon, he'd still be with us. That's how I feel. <laughs> Not a great joke, but it's timely. And there's a woman on the front row, and she just goes, no. <laughs> and I was like, well, she's like, you can't joke about that, which guarantees I will continue to keep joking about it. <laughs> If you know anything about comedians, that's all we need. I also know you talked about actually changing the wording of a joke after a conversation you had with somebody, I guess it was the, the mother of a trans kid. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah. What was the joke and, and how did it, how did it change? It was a joke. It was an old joke. I don't think it's that good a joke. It was about, um, how it was a life alert commercial. How the woman, I don't remember the angle, but the woman was like, help, help. And I was like, that, like not every ad can just show the worst case scenario. You know, not every ad, like, like, you know, you just wake up next to a chick. She's got an Adam's apple and you're just like, fuck lens crafters. You know, I think that was the joke. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I think I said like, I might have said tranny in the joke, I think. I think that was it. And it was, you know, it was like 2014 or something. I didn't know it was a slur at the time, honestly. It wasn't me trying to be malicious. And she told me in a very respectful way. And I said, thanks for telling me. I won't say it anymore. I think when you have a constructive conversation, I'm, I'm always open to it. I'm never like, I'm never trying to just troll. I'm not, that's not my style. I think like, I like to go to dark areas for comedy, but I like to keep it kind of thoughtful. So I don't, yeah, I don't like comedy where it's just dark for the sake of being dark and trying to upset people. That's not my, it's not my style. Yeah. I also think there's this kind of defiant attitude that a lot of comics maybe, I feel like often of a slightly older generation have where it's like just blanket, like you don't get to tell me what I'm allowed to say and no, not say. No. I'm not like that at all. I think like, Look, a lot of the problem right now in our country is the way people are, are doing that, right? Like it, it, a lot of people on the left are being, they're, they're coming at you in the most smug way possible. And I think that's not the way to reach people. So when people come to you in a way that I'm like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that I'm, I'm ignorant on this. I didn't. So, I mean, I also don't assume I have the answers. I'm also up there working out jokes in a bar. Like, it's not like I'm like, I, I know everything. I can, I have some humility here. I know, I know that I have work to be done on myself. And especially with the trans thing, it was something I didn't know a ton about. Now I know a little bit more about it. I have two trans members of my family. I I'm a little more educated on it than I was. And, uh, some things take time. You're not trying to upset people and you're not trying. And also like, I didn't know you know, I think I also said transsexual, which I also know is a term that they don't use anymore now. I think they go by transgendered because it's not a, a sexual, I was going to say preference, which is also not a word. Yeah, yeah. That one's not okay either. <laughs> uh, identity. That's what, uh, that's what Amy Coney Barrett said and got oh, in trouble. Oh boy, I'm fucking really bombing here. All right. I, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, look, we're, we're all learning here. Yeah, so, no, uh, definitely. Um, the, the sort of related, you have a bit in the new special about getting canceled 
for jokes that worked, which I also <laughs> is kind of related. And it's, it's funny. It's like the same kind of thing. It's like, can a joke, what's more important, I guess, being funny or, you know, or, or the, uh, not offending people. And it's like, if you can, if you can be funny, can, I mean, you, you, it's a joke. So, I mean, I, I'm not saying it's like what you really believe, but is it, can you get canceled for something that, that makes people laugh? Two things with that. First off, when when we try to tell an offensive joke or push the boundaries, right? A lot of the times we're doing it at like a comedy club in the Midwest, right? Where they're not they're not up to date always with the woke LA nonsense. A lot of these people that are making the woke rules are like in a fucking Apple store looking uh, <laughs> office in the yeah. fucking hills, and they and the only minorities they know are their fucking maids. So, and they're like, actually, that one didn't work. And they're just like, well, fuck you. I tour the country. I know what works. I know what people like. Our job is to push the boundaries. If that's the type of comedy you do, there's also like comics that don't do that and are hilarious as well. But like a lot of comics, we are trying to push it. And each year they fucking pull it in a little bit, right? Like I watched a 30 Rock episode. Alec Baldwin said retard. That was on NBC, all right? Like let's not act like there weren't a different set of rules a few years ago. We act like that's part of the problem. We condemn people without acting like it wasn't different a few years ago. Acknowledge it was different. Not everyone's going to catch up at the same speed. Let's fucking settle down. And the other thing is with cancel culture, I've noticed, and I'm as a white guy, I'm so sick of, talking about the like triggered or cancel culture i'm so sick of it but when we talk about that we we don't factor in the role that we as a society play i mean i heard a guy on a podcast talk about michael jackson and why it took us so long to come to terms with how inappropriate his actions were and it's because we all loved his music and we were complicit and that's how i feel about jokes we don't cancel everyone else we cancel the person responsible for saying it but what are all the people that were like wearing a t-shirt of michael jackson what about all the people that still love r kelly what about you know what i mean like so also a great example because what those guys did were were fucking criminal and, and a lot of com- big difference between saying something and doing something so the so the blanket one size fits all condemnation system is a little broken as well but with a joke, I do find it funny that I'm like, well, this joke made it onto a special. It killed fucking everywhere. You're acting like I did something like that, like only one small dungeon liked in the fucking in one area. I'm like, no, this was this was uh, focus tested to death. People people liked it. Maybe it's not as okay these days, but it, I think certain certain jokes don't all age. You can't. They're not all going to age well. I mean, shit, Buddy Hackett's one of the funniest people of all time. Play his Chinese voices bit and see how (laughs) funny you find that shit is in 2020, you know? Coming up, Sam looks back on the time he mocked Ambassador John Bolton to his face at three in the morning on Fox News and reveals how he ended up playing a stand-up comic in the Joker movie. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. So I want to go back a little bit to sort of the earlier part of your career and how you got into this. Um, what do you remember about the the first time you you got on stage to tell jokes? Where were you in your life and and how did you decide it was something you wanted to do and, and how did it go? I was in high school. I was 18 and I uh, I went to an open mic called Collective Unconscious and it's it was humiliating. I was drinking heavily because I was so nervous. It just went hard. I brought a friend with me and he laughed at every joke and he was the only one. It was fucking embarrassing. <laughs> I, I'm 
I cringe at it. And uh, I was bad. I mean, it's it's tough. The first time I really did a comedy routine was at my high school and I killed because they all liked me. They all wanted me to succeed. And then you go to strangers and it's a different it's a different vibe. So that that was tough. That was a that was a rude awakening for someone my age when I didn't realize how tough it was going to be. I think I got into comedy because I was like, well, I'll drink for free. And then I <laughs> yeah. realized like, man, if I want to be good at this, I got to work so hard. And it, it was something I had to learn. Is it true that um, that Pat Oswalt was a uh, was instrumental in, in sort of supporting you early on? Damn, you did research on this shit, man. <laughs> most most podcasts are like, so uh, what else? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I grew up in the city, so I went to Caroline's and the Strip and stuff when I was young. And uh, it's weird. I never went to the cellar, and I never went there, I think, because I knew I wanted to be a comic, and I was scared of the cellar. <laughs> it's an intimidating place. So at Caroline's, yeah, I saw a tail there. I saw Pat Oswalt. I remember after Pat Oswalt, He's such a nice guy. I talked to him for a little bit. I, I thought he was so funny, obviously. And uh, I was chatting to him after the show. And I said, I really want to do this. What do I do? And he was just so generous with his time and just said, uh, you just got to do it. He's like, don't make excuses. Just go up and do it. And then he said, if you email me, I'll email you back. And he did. And he said, do this, do, do mics, keep doing mics. He was just, I just needed someone good and successful to tell me to do it. I just needed someone to say like, cause there's no, there's no trick. Sometimes people are like, what's your writing trick? And it's like, there's no trick. If I had a trick, I'd fucking go to that trick every day. And I mean, you just got to figure it out for yourself. Yeah. The and trick is just putting in the work every day. Yeah. It's, it's not like, it's not like basketball where you're like, all right, go to the elbow and shoot from there. It's like, no, you just kind of have to figure out a routine and, uh, some days it's sitting at a computer screen. Some days it's taking a walk. Like you don't know what's, what it's going to be that day. And, um, just having guys like Patton be very supportive in that way to someone he didn't even know, like comics are so accessible and approachable. And I think, yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's big when, when people you look up to give you any time and are, are generous. I, I've never told Pat Oswalt that. I've also <laughs> never told David Tell that I have an autographed Caroline's playbill from him. <laughs> oh, wow. You still have it? <laughs> yeah, of course. Do you remember the first joke that really worked where you were like, okay, I think I can do this? Yeah, I had a joke that did pretty well out of the gate. I mean, I was a high school kid, so I was writing high school jokes. I had a joke where I said, oh, my English teacher said I'm like a young Hemingway. And I was like, oh, why? Because I'm a good writer. She's like, no, you're an alcoholic who's going to kill himself. <laughs> that was like my first joke that worked. It's a dark from the start. Dark from the start. But I, I remember uh, it hit. I think it was like, oh, that's like a joke. I was in my, I was like, oh, that's a joke. So I had a couple like that out of the gate where I'm like, oh, those are working. I met Joe Mackey in my uh, comic strip class. I took a class there and Joe Mackey is like, I mean, I still think he's like the best topical joke writer. He's a beast, but uh, Joe, and he's such a contrarian, which is like, it's just, it drives you nuts, but it's also like why he's so funny. So yeah, even then I was like, oh wow, Joe is so good. At, like I thought he was so good already. So I that made me like want to be around him, you know, just to like, you just want to be around funny people. What about uh, besides that first time where only one friend laughed? Is there, do you have a sort of worst bomb story that, that comes Too to mind? Many. I mean, everyone knows about Naples at this point, but I definitely like that was a brutal weekend. But I, yeah, I've had a lot of weird ones. I remember I had one at Broadway Comedy Club. I used to work the door there and sometimes they let you go on stage. And this was a bad one for some reason. I just like couldn't get a laugh. I just couldn't do it. And some guy, I was dressed like shit, I'm sure. And some guy goes like, man, you like your raggedy ass clothes. <laughs> and I was just like, I just kind of went back and forth with them for a while. And I just, I got him at a point. I was like, yeah, hey, you're fucking trash. I was like, you're human garbage. I forgot what I said. I said something that set him off and he stood up and I heard his girlfriend go, no. And, <laughs> and the staff there liked me because I worked the door. So they were just all these tough, sassy Latina waitresses and they were like barricading the stage. And I just hear, <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh. crap, here it comes. <laughs> Terrible people of the best aim. He just nails me right oh, in the God. chest. And, uh, and then it's like, you try, I tried to go back into material and I just heard someone go, Oh, and I'm like, well, yeah, I, just, yeah, I, can't, I can't. can't recover from that. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, so that was rough. And then I also, they were like, he's waiting outside. And I was like, great. Like, what am I? So I had that happen. I had a time in, uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut, where I got physically chased off stage. I had to like hide from a fucking giant linebacker looking dude. That was terrible. I remember a time in Somerville, South Carolina, like one of those bombs that rattles you. It was in a restaurant. I was very new 
And I was like, this is before I had reps. I would just cold email bars and restaurants and be like, can I do comedy? I'll, I'll <laughs> like, well, what's your budget? I'll do, basically I'll do anything, but like Somerville, South Carolina. Yeah. Never okay? heard of that one. Exactly. You should, if you did, I'd be like, you're from South Carolina. <laughs> you're then, even then probably you'd have to be from Somerville, South Carolina. So it's a restaurant. Somehow I fucking kill the first two nights, Thursday, Friday, I'm fucking killing. And I'm just like, <laughs> Holy shit, oh, I'm killing this hard Friday and, and Thursday and Friday. I mean, Saturday is going to be a cakewalk. It was not. I'm bombing so fucking hard that it's like it's shaking the room. They're just like, we don't even know what to do. They're like all couples over 50 in South Carolina. And they're just like, we don't even know what this is. Like, like, we don't want this to be happening right it now. It was a young kid just talking about a breakup he just had. And they're like, we <laughs> don't give a fuck. This is our couples night. Shut the fuck up and tell a joke. And I thought they were jokes, but like it was one of those bombs that was like, shattering and then i walk out and uh it was a priest and he was just like son you need help <laughs> like oh boy oh, God. and then i got drunk with the priest it was the weirdest fucking <laughs> night ever it was truly a weird night but uh yeah so many nights like that where you're like all right what are you gonna do so eventually i mean you're you got to the point where you're starting to get you know more more success and getting some tv gigs what do you remember about your late night uh debut which i believe was on conan uh in, in 2014 well, so it's a long time coming. It takes you a long time to get there. So I was, I felt like a part of me, I was like, man, I've, I've been waiting too long for this. I've watched all my, I think all my friends had already done late night. So I was a little bit like, what the fuck took you guys so long? But also that set was my, the feedback I got from people was that was a pretty edgy set for late night. Cause I was pretty pissed with the reaction I got. It's tough when your first joke doesn't get what you want because it sets the entire tone for the set. And a lot of the times that first joke never hits and then you get them. But like a lot of the times after it doesn't hit, you have to fake a smile for four more minutes on TV. It's pretty. Do you feel like you were able to turn that one around the, the first one? I thought the jokes, I still look at that set as the jokes being pretty good. But I think like I love a couple of the jokes. I mean, I love that opening joke. Hey, guys, how are you? I, uh, I was just trying to go home with a girl from a bar the other night, and uh, she said, I'd invite you over, but my place is kind of a mess. And I was like, yeah, that's not really a deterrent at 3.30 in the morning. You know? <laughs> like, I'm going to walk into her apartment and be like, absolutely not. <laughs> you fold these sheets, we could talk, but without a duvet cover, it's not going to happen, okay? I was like, of course your place is a mess. If you're willing to have sex with me, I'm going to assume your whole life is in shambles. <laughs> That was a rough set. I was really upset after it. Um, I felt really, really sad. I was like, I remember I talked to Mark Normand after and he goes, yeah, you deserved way better, but the jokes are really good. And you can, and you got really good jokes on TV. So you got to remember that. And that helped a little bit having a friend tell you that. But like, uh, I was pretty bummed. I thought the jokes deserved more. Yeah. I mean, they had you back a lot, a bunch of times on Conan. They have. So my next Conan set was one of the best sets I've ever had in my life. Like it was one of the best nights I've ever had in my life. I was on Conan with Bill Hader and Bill Burr. And I was like, what a fucking <laughs> night. Like two, of, the, two of my faves. Like, I mean, uh, and they were both such nice guys. So that's awesome. And then, uh, yeah, I just crushed that set. What do you, what do you think was different about, I mean, from one, from one time to the next that it was so different? Those jokes were undeniable. Those jokes killed so hard in clubs that like, I remember running that at the cellar and my friend Phil Hanley watched and he was like, that is going to annihilate. It was like a Magic Johnson AIDS joke with like 10 punchlines. <laughs> there was like a dinosaur joke about a dad showing a kid dinosaur pictures. And that joke always crushed. That joke was like an applause. It would get an applause break sometimes before the end. And when it would kill that hard, I knew the next line would like blow the roof off. So there were so many jokes in that set that I thought were like, just so proven and honed and it flowed perfectly. It was like one of those rare TV sets I was really proud of. I saw a dad in the coffee shop quizzing his son on dinosaurs. Every 30 seconds, he would hold up a picture of a dinosaur and his son would be like, that's a stegosaurus. And the dad would say, good job, Stephen, well done. Why are we quizzing kids on dinosaurs? I've never needed that knowledge ever in my life. It's never come in handy. It's never gotten me out of a jam. I've never been driving drunk. Some cop pulls me over. He's like, what kind of dinosaurs are scared? I'm like, a stegosaurus? He's like, step out of the vehicle. 
the other late night thing that I wanted to ask you about is uh, is Colbert because I know you you performed on his show on the Late Show, but you also worked as an intern and on the Colbert Report for a long time. What was the experience working uh, for Colbert like when you were in college? Was that was that a good experience or? It was cool. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, he's a really nice guy, and the staff was really nice. And yeah, I thought it was. What, like, were, you, what were you doing for the show? Just kind of like just errand boy shit. Just like we need an anchor from Harlem, and I'd be like, I'm on it. <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> yeah, whatever you need. Yeah. I remember one of the crazy things I, I saw there was uh, he had Richard Branson on the show and they got in like a, a real fight on air. It was fucking weird. It was like Richard Branson just Colbert is a troll. He was fucking yeah. with people. Most and people did, know how to play along a little bit, but. But he was like, I mean, what Colbert doesn't get, I mean, he was brilliant at it. It was, it was a thing that was no, insanely, it was like. Colbert and Sasha Baron Cohen. Those were like the two guys that could do it with a straight face intelligently. And, and it was like a chess game the way they did it. They knew they were in complete control. And Richard Branson took a water bottle and threw it in his face. And I was like, holy shit. Colbert just reaches out and they, his producer hands him a water bottle and he throws one right back. And I was like, <laughs> this is cringeworthy. I can't believe I'm watching this live. I was cringing. Did you ever, uh, I know he sometimes had some of his staff on the show. Did you never got a, uh, you never, never put you on air. I think I brought him flowers once he broke his arm. He was running and he broke his arm and all the interns one by one would hand him. He'd be like, I don't want any special treatment just because <laughs> yeah. I broke an arm. We all came out one by one and would give him gifts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. I wonder if that's, I wonder if that uh, exists footage is anywhere. Yeah. It, it never is. I remember I tried to find, I used to go on Fox News Red Eye all the time because it'd be on super late. And it was a great training ground for me to just fuck around on TV and write jokes. And yeah, that's an insane show. Insane. And I remember I was on with John Bolton and I was fucking with him. Like I'm on with ambassador John Bolton, comedian Sam Oh wow. Yeah. I didn't even know people like that went on that show. Oh no, they would get huge guests, dude. I mean, that was the funniest part is it aired at 3am, but he'd be sitting there next to like Carl Rove or some shit. Be like, so it was hilarious. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm sitting there next to like the architect of the Iraq war and I'm just like, Hey man, did you ever get mustache rides from interns i'm just fucking with them and i'm like i wish i there's a reason why that doesn't exist on youtube oh yeah I, I try to very coyly email them hey do you have any footage and they're just like please leave us alone just trying to get some clips yeah i'm gonna try to track that down for sure i tried that with a morning show in pittsburgh once i i really fucked with this this uh, man and woman who were running the show they were just asking every bland question and i was on an hour and a half of sleep and just not in the mood for it and this woman goes so uh when did you find out you were funny and i said well you know i was molested by my uncle and he was funny and that gave me spider-man like superpowers <laughs> and they just froze and it aired and i asked very oh like after God. the show i was like hey can i get that footage and they were like get out of our building Absolutely they were like not. get out yeah. Luckily, it was a big show. It was Pittsburgh Today Live. So people videotaped it. I got a lot of tweets like, holy shit, what did I just witness? That's amazing. And guess what? That sold more tickets for the club than if I had behaved. Unfortunately, sure, now they yeah. won't let now they won't let comics <laughs> on that show. I know I'm sure every comic is like, Oh, I don't have to wake up at six AM now. Poor me. Fuck you, Sam. Yeah. Being in the in the Fox News world must be kind of strange on a lot of levels. Was that I mean, it's it's only gotten crazier since you were on it, I'm sure, but uh It felt less weird in the Obama years. You know, it felt just like that like weird kind of pesky, you know, <laughs> network. It it's it didn't feel like state TV yet. No. And and shit. Now with like Newsmax, maybe it'll go back a little bit. Who knows? But I mean, I think, yeah, I think it might. It, you know, it, I, I definitely got, yeah, I come from a pretty liberal New York family. So I definitely got some fucking jabs. Especially, I remember my sister-in-law was like, is it weird? Yeah. But I kind of was like, you know, a lot of comedians go on there. I think it's just a, a place for us to fuck around and, uh, and, and figure some stuff out and, I don't want to go on any political platform now. I don't really, it's just not my style. But at the time it felt like a little more innocent. And now I look at it, I'm like, it's, you know, I've been asked to go back on shows like that. And I just say, it's not really for me anymore. How did you end up in, in the Joker movie? Todd Phillips. Uh, I guess he saw my stand-up somewhere and liked it. I, I think one of my agents at the time, he's not an agent anymore. He's a manager. His name is DC Wade. He's still a buddy of mine. He's a great dude. And he, uh, I believe, submit me and Gary Goldman among a bunch of other people to for Todd Phillips to see. And Todd responded to us. And he said, I just like jokes. I like that you guys just tell jokes and it's not super emo. <laughs> and then, of course, Gary writes the most uh, emo punch-heavy special ever yeah, with right. The Great Depression. I mean, it's an amazing special. But... 
but it's like it's that's an emo special, but with just hard jokes. I mean, that's how you do it, right? I guess he felt like you could you could play a seventies uh, comic though. Yeah, I think it was eighties. I think it was 80s? an eighties. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was 80s, supposed yeah. to be like Reagan era vibes, but like in Gotham, right? So I I think yeah, it was a pretty crazy experience. He just gave me a call, and I was just like. Right, who the which one of my fucking friends is doing this you know but uh you know, he was so cool and he was just he was so what it was what a great experience to be on that movie because it was i don't know much about being on a movie set and he was just so encouraging like he would call cut and be laughing super hard at a joke i did because i just told a bunch of I, every take was a different joke because it's a real audience and i want them fake laughing so i just kept doing different material and he would like call cut and be laughing one time because you know when we get when when we get the light as a comic you Usually it means, you know, wrap it up. You got two minutes. He would just yell out, all right, uh, Sam, get off, you know? And so he did that once. I was just, I was just like, all right, let me just finish this joke. So anyway, and he's like, no, get off. Joaquin's coming. I'm like, oh, fuck, sorry. So <laughs> I'm fucking up taste. I'm like, well, let me finish this one right here. Hold on. Hold on, uh, Todd. Let me get to this. I think, uh, I think most women look at sex like buying a car. You know, like, can I see myself in this long term? Is it safe? Is it reliable? Could it kill me? Most guys, we look at sex like parking a car. We're like, there's a spot. There's another spot that would work. Oh, I have to pay? Never mind. Handicaps. Hope no one sees this. All right, that's my time. Thank you very much, guys. He was so cool. And uh, it's funny. I messaged him something the other day. I texted him. There was that televangelist who was like, Joe Biden won. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. You know, that guy who wouldn't stop laughing. I just texted him that. I said, hey, if Joaquin's not available for Joker 2, this guy would be pretty good. And then he, just, he wrote back that he said, oh, I just saw a clip of you as a drunk rushed the stage and you like dealt with it. I was like, it's so <laughs> fucking funny. I'm like, oh, Todd Phillips watching me deal with a drunk. This is fucking weird. He's yeah, he's just a really he's a warm guy. He's a nice person. Did you have any interaction with uh, Joaquin Phoenix I did. in character as Joker? I don't know if he stayed in character the whole time. He but... didn't. I was shocked. I, Joaquin's such a great actor that I'm kind of just expecting. I'm like, I don't want to bother the guy. He's doing his thing. I'll do my jokes. I'll stay out of the way. But in bet- after one of the takes, he just kind of came over to me and was like, I really like your jokes, man. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. Uh, that's pretty cool. And then uh, he was like, yeah, a lot of comics. It's like very desperate, but you just tell jokes. It's just fun. It's just fun. And I was like, oh, shit. Joaquin Phoenix, man. <laughs> that was a cool moment. I, yeah. I mean, I remember seeing him in To Die For when he was like a kid and I was a kid. He's been great forever. Yeah. Oh, my God. That movie was brilliant. I thought I love them. I love dark comedies. I mean, Gus Van Sant's so good, but I, uh, I love all his work. I think he's so so good and everything so we are going to end the podcast by uh, asking a question that i that i like to ask everybody which is uh who is a a comedian that has just made you laugh the hardest in your life it could be watching them perform or hanging out with them um someone who just who really really makes you laugh i think there's a lot of comics i admire but the people that make me truly gut laugh are probably like David Tell and Rodney Dangerfield. Those are probably like, there's something about them that just like, you watch an old Dangerfield clip and it's like everything I love about comedy. It's like the vulgar guy who shows up at the country club and they're all stuffy and he's like, look at this guy here. Like it just, (laughs) his energy is like, yeah, I bet you were something before electricity, you know? Like just that voice. I'm just like, oh my God, it kills me. So uh, Dangerfield, that self-deprecating shtick, just Back to School is my favorite comedy movie. I don't laugh harder than in that movie. It's just so fucking dumb and great in, in the best way. And uh, so so Dangerfield's one. Attell on a personal level is like my favorite comic ever. I just think he's a genius. And every New York comic is influenced by Dave Attell or Colin Quinn. That's my theory. One of those two. You're doing one of those. They're the two godfathers in New York. Do you feel like you're doing Attell? Of course. And most of us are doing a version of Attell. I mean, like, yeah, I, I can't help it. Like, I try to fight it. But like, he's such a big influence in me. We're both New York Jews. Like, he's vulgar. I'm vulgar. He's so witty. Like, he's almost like a detective. He's almost like Kojak, but like with hard ass jokes, you know, like, <laughs> like he, he says shit where you're like, 
Oh man, I remember like I was watching with the seller one night and three guys with glasses in a row all came out of the bathroom and he goes, what is that, a nerd portal? <laughs> just like, like he's just so quick. I saw him do something one night at the seller that I thought was like one of the most incredible things ever where Dave and Jeff Ross are on stage roasting people and they're asking for volunteers and some woman in the crowd said, roast me, roast me. And she gets on stage and very quickly, everyone realized that she only had one leg and you could just feel the room just collapse like oh fuck this is gonna go horribly and Attell is just so he's so used to that he's done so many he's tours he just doesn't give a shit and he and like Attell knows this person volunteered she wants to be roasted she knows what's gonna happen exactly like I'm sure like all her friends dance around that shit so when you're with someone who's just blunt and silly Attell goes to her husband whoa so you guys on vacation he goes yeah what have you guys been doing and the husband goes a lot of walking and Attell goes you dick and the room explodes <laughs> and you're just like that he's just got like the shortest swing like like if he's like ichiro you know and i'm like yeah like Two in baseball words. he just gets on like you're just like how the fuck did he just hit that it, it, it's just always perfect so yeah Attell makes me laugh when i was a kid rock always fucking did the trick too i love rock Chris Rock. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. My uh, pleasure. Thanks for I'm having a, me. I'm a big fan of yours and and I think both of your specials are, are just amazing and, and thank really, you, really man. funny. I really appreciate that. Thanks, so, man. Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully you can get back out there and, and perform not on rooftops uh, in, in more <laughs> Dude, traditional spaces. I'll soon. do another roof special if I have to. I, I, I think I need another, maybe it'll be like a different theme, but I'll, I'll figure <laughs> something out. Thank you so much to Sam Morell for being my guest on today's show. You can watch both of his most recent specials, I Got This and Up on the Roof, for free on YouTube right now. If you're enjoying The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.